You all can be seated. Uh, you can open up your Bible, excuse me, to Second Corinthians chapter 9. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but uh, I've been looking forward to reinstating publicly Brian for a while. So it's glorious to get to do that with you and celebrate God's gift of him to us. Uh, so thank you and joining with that. And thank you for singing. I know there's even some new folks on the worship team this morning. Thank you for using your gifts in service of our congregation. Uh, but we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9 this morning, which if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that this is going to continue Paul's teaching on generosity, which we're going to get to this text in a moment. But he uses language in this passage we're going to read today of planting seeds and reaping a harvest. And it's just another reminder, as regularly for me, that I know very little about planting and harvesting. Uh, but we recently have planted some seeds in a garden in our yard. We were kind of late in the game this year, uh, planted in the heat or I. I, if, if we were late, it was because it was my delay, uh, me being slow to actually do it. Uh, but uh, I do not inherently enjoy the task of planting seeds. Maybe some of you do. Uh, but for me, it's usually done when it's hot. We have a whole bunch in our garden of mint that just grows like crazy. And no matter how often we try to pull it up and uproot it and give it to people, it just keeps growing back. And so I'm constantly having to rip this stuff out. My hands get tight. And at the end of that really fun task, I, you stand up and you just see dirt. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> like, uh, and you, it can be done joyfully. I know people who it's just inherently joy-giving, life-giving to them. It's not inherently to me, <clears throat> but it can be done even by someone like me with gladness, with cheerfulness. And if it is going to be done that way, it's not for the, for me at least, it's not for the task itself, but for what it will bring about or what it's actually going to produce. And uh, uh, if I am going to be cheerful in planting seeds, it's going to be for two reasons. One is going to be for the immediate, that it will give at least a semblance of joy to my wife that I actually did what I said I would do. Uh, so there's some joy that comes to her and thankfulness that this has been done now. But then if I think a little further down weeks or maybe months ahead, there's maybe the more obvious uh, product of that work that flowers are going to come out of the ground that we can cut and put in our house or give to people or just enjoy looking at or that uh, berries are going to spring forth or snap peas or whatever tomatoes whatever it is that we planted in the ground there's eventually going to be something that springs forth and if I'm going to be cheerful as I'm planting the seeds it's going to be because I'm remembering that I'm remembering what it's going to bring about the good that it's going to produce and Paul is going to use this analogy of planting seeds and reaping a harvest to talk about generosity in this text that we're going to look at and Paul could have when he was trying to call forth generosity in these Christians he could have just said be generous because it's right be generous because it's the good thing be generous because God said to. Be generous because I said to. Like, because I said so. He could have just stopped at that and just appealed to the morality of it. Say, do it. Be generous. But we're going to see as he wraps up this section of chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians that he goes a step further and he tries as he continues to call them to be generous, he also points them ahead to the fruit that will come from it of the, the good that can come about and that he anticipates will come about through their generosity. And he does that to help motivate them to be cheerful in their giving, uh, to not just do the act, but to be cheerful even as they're generous because they anticipate what it can bring about. They anticipate the harvest 
that can come. And so I want to read his words to this church in Corinth. We're going to read this whole chapter. It's only 15 verses, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But I'm going to read this whole chapter for us, and then we're going to walk back through it and see what some of the harvest is that he says generosity can produce uh, for those people in that day and then for us as well, and see how that can help motivate and make cheerful the act of giving that we even do in 2021 today. So if you found 2 Corinthians 9, I'd encourage you to follow along with me. The Apostle Paul is going to continue his argument, his encouragement toward this church to be generous. And he says it this way. Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we'd be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. This is a glorious text. I've been looking forward to, to opening this with you. Uh, and want to walk back through it with you now. But I, I'd summarize the message that I think Paul is communicating in this chapter and that I'd want to communicate to you today this way. In keeping with his analogy of sowing seeds and reaping, of being generous and then a harvest that comes from it. I, I'd summarize his message this way. Is that your cheerfulness in sowing should be increased by your anticipation of reaping. So your cheerfulness in sowing, your cheerfulness in being generous towards the mission and the cause of God, it should be increased by your anticipation of what it can bring about and what it will bring about. Is that you're tracking with me? That, that your, your cheerfulness in sowing should be increased by your anticipation 
of reaping. I want to start at the beginning of this chapter and use the first five verses to kind of make sure we're understanding the scenario he's speaking into, the situation this was written in, and then we'll really start to to hit the road running at verse six. But if you look at the first five verses, you're either going to be reminded or maybe you'll be hearing for the first time if you're just joining us in this series, uh, that this church at Corinth, one that the Apostle Paul had started, uh, that he had been the, the instrument God used to start this church, they are part of a an offering that the Apostle Paul is trying to assemble and put together from various churches uh, to give to people, to give to Christians who are in the city of Jerusalem at that time, who are in a really bad off spot financially. Uh, the Apostle Paul knew that those Christians were not doing well in Jerusalem, and so he goes out and sends letters or messengers to all these churches that he's helped establish elsewhere, and he calls them to be generous, to collect offerings that then can be pulled together to take to Jerusalem. And what you see in those first five verses uh, is that Paul has been bragging on this church in Corinth. Uh, He had talked to them even a year or so prior, and they had been really zealous to join in this offering. They're like, yeah, we want to help. Like, God's blessed us. We want to be able to contribute and help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And as an aside, I totally understand what Paul's doing because you guys don't get to hear me do this, but I try to brag about our church regularly uh, as I interact with other pastors. I'm so thankful for the grace of God upon our church in all sorts of ways. And I like to brag on what God is doing, not in a, a boisterous way to draw attention to us, but to give thanks to God. And I think Paul had been doing that. He knew that the Corinthians had been motivated to give. They'd been motivated to contribute to this offering But the the problem that had developed was that that had been a year prior where they had made these commitments and now they weren't following through on it. They they had made these commitments, they probably even still intended to do it, but they hadn't made a collection. They hadn't set aside funds as families and they didn't have it ready to give, ready to put into that pot to go to Jerusalem. And so Paul in those first five verses is reminding them, hey, I'm about to send people to you and where they have offerings that other churches have assembled and we want to add to, to the pot from what you all have collected, like you said you would, like I've been bragging about. So I like when they actually show up for you to have it ready to give and not to have to go uh, grasping for things when they arrive. Uh, That's the the basic gist. And Paul wants them, you see, as you get down to verse 5, he wants them as that time comes to actually give the offering, to actually hand it over to go to Jerusalem. He wants it to be a willing gift. That's at the end of verse 5, right? He wants it to be something that they give willingly, not that some people have to come and demand of them or go to their homes to grab Uh, But he wants it to be willing. And then in verse 7, we're going to see he wants it to be cheerful giving. So they're freely giving it and they're cheerfully giving of it. So he, he wants them to be ready. He wants them to be willing. He wants them to be cheerful as they are giving. And that's why he then, in verse 6, I think this is what frames out the rest of this chapter, he turns this metaphor about sowing and reaping, uh, which many of us don't work in places where that's a normal part of our life. Maybe we plant seeds each year, something like that. We're maybe not in the typical work of farming, uh, but we still know what this concept is, right? Of, of sowing seeds and then reaping a harvest, of planting things in the ground, eventually things coming up out of the ground. And Paul uses that analogy to describe giving, of of being generous. And if kids don't know what sowing seeds means, I was thinking sometimes when we hear sowing, we think of like if there's a rip in my pants, my mom or dad or whoever sews it together. That's not the sowing Paul's talking about. If you, instead of thinking, this is a dead corny joke, but instead of thinking ripping and sowing, think 
reaping and sowing. Like it's sowing seeds. Like it's, when you talk about sowing seeds, it's like putting it down into the ground so that eventually something else will grow up out of it. And that's what Paul's talking about as he talks about generosity. He compares it to planting seeds down into the ground. And he's reminding them that as they do that, as they sow that seed, as they're generous to people, that there will be fruit that comes. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully, right? And so then I think in this rest of this chapter, we see, I'm going to put it under three categories, mostly focusing on two of them, but three categories where you can see what he says this harvest will be, like what it will actually be like, not just using a metaphor of, oh, there will be a harvest, there will be fruit that comes, but he actually points out certain things to anticipate that God actually will bring about through their generosity. And so I want to point out some of those, and we can learn from them, because I think these are things even in our day, as we are generous, that God will continue to bring about in our day. So the first category, I want to show you some things from 2 Corinthians 9 about a category of, of things that are reaped, a harvest that comes from our generosity, but fall under the category of what you reap as the giver, uh, what, what God does in your life or for you when you uh, are generous with the finance that God has given to you. The first thing I would point out under this category would be found in verse 8. Uh, And I would say it this way, that God, as you are generous with the funds that God has given to you, he gives you a greater capacity for good works. In verse 8, Paul says that God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, or yours may say contentment, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, and this is the fruit, that you may abound in every good work. So he doesn't explain all the logistics of this, so I'm not going to speculate, but he's saying as you are generous, one of the things that God is going to bring about in your life is an increased capacity for good works and ability to benefit the fellow human beings around you. And he, the way that I've tried to understand what he's saying here, and I think he's getting at and there in verse 8, is that as we are generous with what God has given to us, as we have a loose grasp on it and are willing to give it to others, that usually corresponds with a sense of contentment and a sufficiency, right? That, that I am not a person now as I'm giving away that is just grasping to grab more stuff and to just hang on to what God's already given me. But there's an openness and a looseness with what God has given to me so that my heart typically then is much more calm And at ease, and I don't have tunnel vision just of how am I going to get more money? How am I going to get the next bill paid? How am I going to get my savings account built up? But I have more of a calmness and a contentment, and I'm I'm not pursuing money as an idol any longer. And so I'm actually able to have a calmness of heart, a, a peace of mind that actually enables me to look around at my life and to see what other people are going through, to see what they're dealing with, and so that I'm more prepared to actually do good works for them, to serve them, to care for them, instead of just being turned inward on myself and worrying about numbers one, worrying about my bank account, worrying about my house, worrying about the things that I want or that I feel like I need. And so I, I think that that is some of what he's getting at. There's a, a greater capacity for good works to abound in good works as we are more open-handed with the money that God gives to us. And you see similar language in verse 10. He says that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. We'll talk about that in a second. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. That sometimes people just skip the last part of that verse and they just talk about the, he's going to multiply my seed for sowing. And that does not mean what I think many people think it means. But we miss the, pe- the fact that he says 
there that, that he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Not just that he's going to increase your bank account. He's going to increase your stock portfolio. He's going to increase your salary at your job. But that he is going to increase the harvest of righteousness in your life. And that, that makes sense, right? As we are open-handed with what God has given to us, there is a greater potential at least for righteous things to be done, for people to be served and cared for. So we, get, we receive, I think, a greater capacity for good works as we're generous with our money. But, and this is where we're going to get into some controversial territory. And I want you to listen carefully to what I say and do not say. But I think in this text, you see, as we're thinking about what we reap, as you see this in verse 11, uh, 10 and 11, a, provi- a provision from God to enable future generosity. That I think Paul says that. Uh, that, that as we are generous with what God gives to us, that there is typically, not always, but typically a provision from God himself to enable future generosity, to enable us to be generous again. Not just like I get to do that once and then that was it, but that God will typically replenish, thing, replenish things so I can be generous again. So if you look at verse 11, he says this. He says, you will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, this, I'll talk about this tomorrow. This text has been grossly misused by many people in our world, in our society, and even in history. It's been grossly misused. But I think Paul is not merely in this text saying, as you're generous, just purely in the spiritual realm there's going to be gain. That there's going to be righteousness, there's going to be good works, there's going to be uh, good things that are done in a spiritual realm. But he is, I think, unmistakably, especially as you get to verse 10 and 11, he is talking about material things. He, he talks because he's comparing seed to money, right? To, to generosity that we can give to people. And he's saying that God will multiply your seed, verse 10, for sowing. And then in verse 11, which we just read, he said that he'll enrich you to be generous in every way. Not only financially, but to be generous in a multiplicity of ways. And I'm going to clarify some of this in a moment, but I think this is true. And this is not just Paul making this up on his own. It's not like just Paul creates this principle. But even in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, if you look at a text like Malachi chapter 3, this is another text that gets grossly misused, so don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. But back even in the Old Covenant in Malachi chapter 3, there was this principle, this law that God had given to the people of Israel at that time of giving tithes. Uh, of, and I don't have time to get into all the detail of that, but there are different kinds where they were supposed to give of, of their produce, give of their harvest, give of their resources to, to benefit the priests especially and the functioning of the temple. But in, in, there was this temptation to not do that. Like to, to keep what God had given to them and to not return it to God, to not be generous with it. And even in this old covenant, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, this is God speaking to his people. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there, until there is no more need. And so even God himself had said things like this, right? That as there is a generosity among his people, a willingness to be open-handed with what he has given to us, he even says there in Malachi 3 that there will be a reciprocal return of things to them, right? So he doesn't say they're going to be rich, but he says that there will be no need. 
right? That's Old Covenant another time, but to show that it is a principle that God established that Paul's not just making up, okay? That, that, that there will be this provision from God to enable future generosity. But I want to clarify some things because this text, 2 Corinthians 9, as we come back to it, gets grossly misused by people at times, both by preachers and people in the pews at large. It gets grossly misused by people as a Christian-y get-rich scheme. As this idea that, well, if I, if I need or want more money, the way that I do that is by sowing my seed money by giving to this televangelist, by putting a check in an offering plate, by giving to some person on the street, that, that I, I want money, I want more money, the way that I get that is by planting my seed. That's, it's like God just works that way, we think. I give a little bit, God, boom, like multiplies what I gain. And the question that I would want you to think about in verse 10, because they don't get that idea from nowhere, they get that from verse 10, the word multiply your seed. Like Paul is saying that as you sow seed, that God typically will multiply that seed back to you to enable future generosity. But people use that in a, in a way, in keeping with the sowing seeds analogy, uh, we just buy the little bags of seeds that you just buy from Menards or something. But if you imagine if you were doing a whole field, like you'd have an actual bag of seeds, probably I'm guessing that you're going out to sow seeds. How many people want to interpret this text is this way, as they imagine this as money, is that, okay, God's given me this certain size bag of seeds, I'm going to take all these seeds that he's given me and I'm sowing them. Like I, I'm going to give to people. I'm going to give however much I can to people. And what they think is going to happen based on this multiply idea is that presto, when I get down to the bottom of this bag, what's going to happen is God's going to give me a bigger bag. It's like God's going to give me a bigger bag and fill that thing up now. So now I have even more seeds. Like I have more than what I even had before. That's what they think multiply means, is that I get a bigger bag with more seed, and they imagine this continuing. If I'm faithful to, to spread that seed and give it out, get to the bottom of it, boom, bigger bag again. And now they, they justify saying, well, I can be more generous. I can give more. I can multiply my giving. And that's what they're imagining happening in the sight of God. But I do not think that's what Paul is talking about. I think what he is imagining is that God has given you a certain size bag of seeds. And as you are faithful to be generous and selfless with those finances, those seeds, to be generous to the people of God and the cause of God, the ministry of the saints, serving their needs, that God will typically, not even always, but typically he will help refill that bag you have so that you'll be able to do it again. Like, so that you'll have continued capacity to be generous. Not that he's going to keep multiplying it in the sense of making the bag bigger, but he's going to multiply it in the sense of continuing to keep it filled. That you'll have what you need. That you'll have what you need for your own life, and you will have what you need to be generous to other people. So I don't think Paul's teaching, presto, you get these bigger bag of seeds, but that God continues to faithfully fill the bag that he has given to you so that you can be generous. So the idea that we can treat God almost like some rigged lottery system, like where if I just give money, boom, like 
I will win this lottery. Like God's going to make me get a raise. God's going to give me a new car. God's going to give me a promotion. God, whatever. Like that is nonsense. And that cuts against every... Read the rest of 2 Corinthians. Read the rest of what the Apostle Paul wrote. And that is not remotely what he's teaching. That God is just some banker that we can manipulate and say, if I works. The, I would point out the very fact that this offering is taking place the one he's telling them to contribute to is because there's poor Christians. Right? Like, there's poor Christians in Jerusalem. And if Paul just believed in this get-rich scheme, like God's going to make your bag of seeds bigger, he would have just gone to Jerusalem and said, hey, whatever little bit you all have, give it away. Boom. Like, you're going to have more. Right? But that's not what he says. That's not what he does. He goes to these other churches and says, amongst the seed that God's given to us, let's assemble it together and give to these brothers and sisters who are poor. And Paul, if you read chapter 8, the chapter right before this, Paul even had assumed that someday this Corinthian church that was wealthy at the time, he had assumed that there would probably become a day where they weren't. And that even though right in this moment they were able to give from their wealth, give from their generosity, he's assuming that there's going to be a point in time where in verse 14 of chapter 8, where they're going to need to have stuff given to them. They're going to need to be careful. Paul didn't have this idea that the Corinthians are just going to get thicker and thicker pockets, deeper and deeper pockets, but he knew that sometimes in God's providence, he allows poverty to come. He doesn't just always keep giving more and more and more. If anything, the Apostle Paul warns against greediness, warns against the desire for more and more money. Paul, in this text, he calls for people to be, and call, what God would call upon us to be, cheerful givers. But sometimes I think we are tempted in our day and age to be secretly greedy givers. Like when we hear this idea that God will just make your bag of seed bigger and bigger and bigger, Instead of being cheerful to give, being glad to give, we secretly in the back of our minds think, if I give, I'm actually going to get a little bit richer. Like, if I sow this seed, God's going to give me a little bit more. And God, that does not honor the Lord at all. Like, if we are secretly greedy in our giving, God is not honored. He is honored by glad and cheerful and selfless giving, not self-seeking giving, okay? But we do, I don't, that said, I don't want to undermine the point that Paul does say here that typically God, as we sow seed, he does give provision in return for us to enable future generosity. I don't want to, out of fear of prosperity, gospel sidestep what he actually does say. Like that as you give, God will typically be faithful to give you more for you to give to others. So there's things that we reap, but there's also things, the second category of a harvest that comes from our giving is what others reap, what they gain from our generosity. This may be more obvious to us, but it's important for us to note what Paul says. Verse 12 probably says the most obvious way that there's fruit that comes from our generosity. He, sa he says the ministry of this service, like of you giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So that's obvious, but I don't want us to miss that, that as we are generous toward the needs of fellow Christians, their needs are supplied. They, they gain. They receive what they need for that moment, for that bill, for that season, for those groceries. They, they have their needs met, right? And there are many ways that you could be generous 
people in this room that you can be generous with the funds and the resources that God has given to you. I'm not telling you only give to our church. There's a lot of ways that you can be generous with the funds that God has given to you that you can minister to the needs of the saints. But I want to briefly tell you how if and when you give into the, the funds, the general fund of our church or the benevolence fund of our church, that it benefits others. It ministers to the needs of the saints. Briefly. When you make contributions into the the gathered offerings of our church, you are helping meet the needs of our field workers, the people that we have sent out from our church all over this world, who who aren't able to work in the marketplace always to gain income from themselves, but you are enabling them to meet the needs of their family. And at the risk of sounding selfish, and I know that this, it's ironic to do or strange to do, but you also minister to the needs of the families of the pastors and the staff of our church. That's a part of what your contributions do, is that you help even enable my family to have our needs met. And I'm thankful to God for that. And I know our staff and leaders are thankful to God for that. It enables us to be freed, in a sense, from marketplace work, to be able to do soul work and minister to the people of God and to reach out into our community. You help fund, we give into our denominational fund. You help fund church planters who are, are doing works around our nation and even around our world to go into new territory and plant churches uh, where there are none. When you give into the, we have a benevolence fund in our church that our deacons manage. When you give into that fund, that directly goes to the needs of church members first and then people in our congregation or maybe even our community at large who need lot rent paid for and don't have the money in God's providence at that time of life to pay for it, who have utility bills that are coming due, who have gas tanks that need to be refilled, who have groceries that need to be purchased. Your giving goes directly to meet their needs. We support as a church local ministries that exist in our community to minister to the homeless, to minister to those who are coming out of jail and drug addictions. Uh, We help fund adoptions and give to organizations that help families who are in need of finance to adopt. Your generosity that you make even to our church helps supply the needs of the saints. And I want to remind you of that. And to not let's just think you're dropping into some void. Uh, but it is ministering to the needs of the saints. So that's the most obvious benefit that others reap. But another, if you look way back up at verse 2 of chapter 9, you can see that he says uh, that Achaia, he's been telling them that the people of Achaia have been ready since last year. And he says to this church, end of verse 2, your zeal has stirred up most of them. And so one thing I would just point out real briefly with that is as we are generous... And as other people see and hear of our generosity, it often is used by God to motivate them to be generous, to motivate them to think, man, I could do that too, or God may want me to be part of that contribution. That's what was happening as Paul told the people in Macedonia about the people in Corinth's generosity. They're stirred up to say, we want to be part of that too. There's a reason that back in the day, kids may not even know what these are, but telethons were popular, right? Like where we would raise funds and you would see phones ringing and people answering phones. It's like, man, other people are giving. Like, I'd like to give to this too. Or in modern day, we have GoFundMe pages where you can give anonymously or you can see people who actually contribute. And just by seeing those things, sometimes you're compelled to be generous. You see, man, there's people who are giving to this person towards this end. So sometimes your generosity can fuel generosity and others. That's part of the harvest that is reaped from your generosity is what it even encourages other people to do. I've had this happen to me like when we have our art gala typically each year. The people who are able to make bigger donations than me, it actually inspires me as I see them gladly doing so to say, I would like to give a little. Do notice that it encourages them to be generous themselves, right? 
The last thing under this heading is that I would say based on verse 14, near the end of today's text, that as we're generous, that there is relational bonds that are strengthened between fellow Christians. That's part of the harvest that comes, is that the relationships between Christians who are giving and receiving strengthens, it deepens. If you look at verse 14, he talks about this church in Jerusalem that's going to be the recipient of this offering. And he says, they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And I just love that. These were people who probably didn't know what each other's faces looked like. It's not like they could do trips all the time to go see each other. But the people in Jerusalem, Paul is saying, as they receive this offering from you, God is going to use that in their hearts to give them a longing for you, an affection for you. They're even going to pray for you. There's going to be this deepening of bonds between the recipients and the givers that happens as the people of God. That happens as human beings in general, but happens specifically in the church of God. The, the givers of funds and the receivers have this natural but also I think spirit infused bonding that happens between us where we now we want to pray more for these people we want to to see them we long to be with them because they've shared their resources with us and I have seen this as one of your pastors I get to talk with many of our missionaries many times and I am always blown away at how consistently they express their thankfulness to us as a church how thankful they are even when they're not able to be with us all the time but their thankfulness for your generosity the ways that they pray for you and you don't even know it but they pray for you they long for our church to be healthy and built up and for you to be uh, growing in the grace of God your generosity whether you realize it or not strengthens their bonds with us and us with them and so that's part of the harvest the last category, and this will be much briefer, is what God reaps from our generosity, what, what he gains, if we want to speak of that that way, uh, what God reaps from our generosity. First, I would say that God reaps or he takes delight in us when we are generous, right? Like if you look in chapter 9 at verse 7, he says that each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, that God takes delight, I would, I would say like a proud father, I would say, when he sees his children gladly give of what he has given to them. Freely, willingly, cheerfully give what he has given to them. That brings, uh, if, if God the Father had a face, I would say it brings a smile to his face. I think he has a perma smile on his face so to speak over us because we're united with Jesus but even if you could imagine it just increasing a little bit more that in real time he's glad to see the generosity of his people the, the, just like if you have a child and you see them do something that you have taught them to do some selfless act some uh, gracious generous thing it, it brings joy to your heart to see and I think the same is true that God the Father loves when he sees cheerful giving Verse 11 and 12, you see that God, this may be obvious to us, but God reaps thanks. He, he, he receives thankfulness from people as generosity happens, right? He says in verse 11 that their generosity produces thanksgiving to God. Then verse 12, he says that it's overflowing in thanksgiving, many thanksgivings to God. And so keep that in mind, not just as you give generously that fellow humans are recipients of good, but as you give to them, they direct their thanks to God and God has brought thanks to him that bring uh, pleasure to him. And the last thing you see in this text, verse 13, is that God receives glory, 
right? He says that the recipients, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, because of your generosity. They glorify God. They, they aren't just impressed with you as the giver, but they're impressed by the God who motivated you to give. And so God reaps a harvest as we are generous. It's not just a purely human transaction. In closing, I want, I want to say this. I think in chapter 9... Paul is trying to appeal to the harvest, appeal to the fruit that comes from generosity to help motivate giving, to help motivate cheerfulness in giving. So we should not shrink back from that. When we're trying to find motivation to give, that should be part of what we consider is the good that comes from this. But I want to return to some ideas that I tried to share two weeks ago, lest we forget chapter 8, that the deepest, truest reason that you should be generous is not just because of the good that comes from it but because of the fruit that it produces. But the core reason you should be generous is because God has been generous to you. Like you've been a recipient of infinite generosity before you can ever be a giver of generosity to fellow human beings in a way that honors God. And I think that's why Paul ends, even as he's told them about this harvest, I think that's why he ends this chapter, verse 13, by saying, your submission, this is verse 13, your submission, like your giving of funds, comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Like you've heard this good news of a savior who became poor for you. Like who gave his life for you so that you might become rich. That you might have the blessings of God, the forgiveness of God, the favor of God. That's where their generosity has come from. And then the very end of this chapter, I can't even like do justice to it even when I was trying to read it. But verse 15, it's just like he's just bursting with praise. Like thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's like just oozing, bursting out of Paul's this thankfulness for not for what the Corinthians are about to give to the people in Jerusalem, but for what God has given to them. That, that he has given them this gift that's inexpressible, that words can't do justice to, this gift of his son, this gift of forgiveness and eternal life that was bought at the cross. And so I want to, to end by calling you not just to be generous people, because I know that there is some of you in this room who I, I don't even want to command generosity to you yet because you haven't received the generosity of God towards you. Like you don't think of the gift of Jesus as inexpressibly good yet. And if that's you, I don't want you to necessarily feel compelled to start giving to people. I want you first to know the gift that can be given to you today. The gift of Jesus Christ. The gift of forgiveness of sin. I want you to receive that gift today. Not be a giver of gifts, but first be a receiver of it. And I want you to hear me clear as day that all of us, when we come before God, are spiritually poor. We have nothing good in of ourselves to bring to him that is worthy of his reward, worthy of his praise. We are spiritually bankrupt and poor. But chapter 8 tells us that God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is infinitely rich, that he became poor for our sake. That doesn't just mean that he had no money, but he became poor by becoming a human being. He became even more spiritually poor by going to him. Our debt was laid upon him and he paid every bit of it. He suffered in our place. He became infinitely poor. But then God raised him up and gave him blessing and favor and honor and showed, I approve of this son. I'm making him ruler of everything. And God the Father tells all of us in this room, all of us on this planet, if we will come to him now in faith, trusting that his son died for us, trusting that his son has been raised for us, us who are spiritually poor, who have nothing to bring to God but our sin, 
Guess what he offers to give to us? He offers to give to us forgiveness. He offers to give us resurrection. He offers to give us his favor, his approval. And that gift blows every human gift out of the water. And you can't buy it. You can't earn it. It can only be given to you. And everyone in this room can be a recipient of that gift today. Uh, It is an inexpressibly good gift. And if that's you, you're longing to be a recipient of that gift. I would encourage you as we pray even now to pray to God, ask him to receive that gift of his forgiveness that has been bought by Jesus and he will give it to you. And then we're going to get, after we pray, we're going to get the chance to sing one last song that's just titled, Jesus, Thank You. It's one of my favorite songs we can sing whether we're initially thanking him today for the salvation we just received or we're thanking him again for the millionth time uh, for his salvation. We get to sing, Jesus, Thank You. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and then we'll be done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to be cheerful givers. Sometimes that can be hard for us. We pray that we might be able to look at the potential fruit of our generosity and that you would use it to stir up cheerfulness in us. That we could see the the gain that can come for ourselves to be generous in the future. We can see the gain that comes to others through the provision of their needs, through the the strengthening of bonds, and that we would have eyes to see the, the harvest that you can reap yourself thanksgiving and glory and praise God we are thankful that you are not just an asker of gifts to be given to you but that you are a giver of gifts to us God even though this gift is inexpressible inexpressibly good we pray even as we sing back to you that we could try to give voice to our thankfulness and that you would hear it that you would be pleased as we do and we pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus Amen